Morning, everybody. How's everyone doing today? We have uh, a couple of first-time guests, which is always exciting to see new faces. We have some people who have come and visited us, and some of, some of you guys are here, and you weren't maybe expecting a little bit of a celebration. And um, it's a special day for us uh, for a lot of reasons, just the idea of celebrating a birth of a church. And like I said, we, we've kind of struggled, at least I've struggled. I don't really know what the, the proper thing is, if it's considered a, um, a birthday or if it's an anniversary. And the youth were trying to explain to me why it was because they said we birthed something new, but then I said, but wouldn't a marriage be the same thing, right? Because you're birthing a marriage new. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still not 100% sure which one it is. So uh, they came up with the suggestion that we just call it a birthiversary, which pretty much sounds great to me. I should have gotten that to Miss um, Harrington before so they could have put happy birthiversary on the cake. And I would have liked, I really would have enjoyed going to see the look on that person's face when they heard you say that. But, but anyways, um, if you guys have your Bibles, open them up to Acts, Acts chapter 3. Uh, we're, we're in the process of going through this, what I think is a, a, an amazing book. And there's so many good stories. There's so many awesome things. Last week, we, we looked at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And in that, what, one of the neat things with, with us going through this book verse by verse is where it allows us to kind of grab um, different components of the way the early church built their church and how we, some 2,000 years later, in some ways are trying to replicate that. And last week we saw these four pillars or kind of four landmarks of a church. And we, we see those kind of spelled out there in, in Acts 2.42. Just as a form of reference there, it talks about how they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. And, and so last week we talked about that and we made a point to, to try and figure out what those, those four pillars were, why they were each important, and, and how we can't construct a church with, by subtracting any one of those components out. And so just like a building, you typically have four walls, and if you take one out, it's going to weaken the structure, right? And so, so we, as a, as a church of two years old now, are, are, we're in the process of continuing to try and work on that foundation. And we, we, we were able to see last week, we were able to point out all seven of our core values between um, Acts 2.42 and in the end of that chapter. And so if you didn't, this morning on the back table by the coffee, we have a little bullets in there. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, we've gotten to the point where we have a trifold today because there's so much. But, but one of those things that we, we want to continually put in front of you is our core values. What are our core values? Why are they important? Um, why do we talk about them? And so, so maybe some, a visitor or you're new or you've been here a couple of times and you're not really sure what we're about now, those core values are really important because they, they kind of are the, the meat on the bones. And so hopefully you guys get a chance to look at those, and there's plenty of them back there. So Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11, and we're going to talk about it. And then when we're done, we're going to eat some cake and celebrate, all right? So here we go. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple, 
verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6 says, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up and leaping up and stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. And walking with, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portifico called Solomon's. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all the things that you've done for us. God, I thank you for this day that we, we come to church and we First and foremost, we come to celebrate you. We come to, to worship you. We come to, to learn more about you and hopefully grow closer to you. But Lord, today is also a special day for us because today is a, a day that we get to celebrate a birthday or an anniversary, a, a marker of something, that a work that you began some two years ago. And, and Lord, it's special days like this that we have a chance to maybe take a, a quick pause and our regular routines, and be able to look back a little bit and see these blessings, see these things that you've done, these relationships that you've created, uh, these faith journeys that you've strengthened. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for our faith family. Lord, we ask now in the next few moments as we look in your word, God, I pray that you allow this scripture to impact our lives. God, I pray that you give me your passion. I pray that you give me your words and your spirit. I pray that, that we remain faithful to this text, that we don't add anything to it, and we don't take anything away from it. God, I pray that you allow us to walk away with some very practical things today. But God, most of all, I pray that we all leave differently than we came. That you, the Holy Spirit, that you come within us, that you strengthen us, that you encourage us, that you motivate us, that you direct us. So, Lord, do a mighty work. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This is a, an interesting story, I think. We, we see a miracle. Now, miracles aren't uncommon in Scripture. And, and when we read the Gospels, the four books prior to this in the New Testament, we see miracles occurring all the time. But there's a little something different here. You know, prior in the Gospels, when we see these miracles taking place, for the most part, these are all being performed by Jesus. And, and we that are here at church, those of us who grew up in church, we, we can remember going to children's church when we were little kids or Sunday school class, and we, we can remember all these different, these, these different miracles, and, and, and we know the story about Jesus. And, and so those miracles, as we read them, don't necessarily surprise us. But, but this begins to take this different change because we no longer have Jesus in the flesh here performing these miracles, but we have the disciples, the apostles. 
And we're going to see different miracles throughout this study of the book of Acts. But, but here we see Peter and John. And there's a lot of little nuggets in this, in this 11 verses that I think we can walk away with and we can see some, some um, very practical things. Well, the first, I think, as we see this is we have to understand that, that Peter and John are doing a, a routine. Their, their, their normal, traditional religious practice was as Jews, they would go, the custom was they would go to the temple three times a day to pray, in the morning, midday, and evening. And they would go devote themselves to an hour of prayer each time. Now, as we saw in the first two chapters of Acts, things have completely changed. I mean, Jesus had, had come, Jesus had died, Jesus had come back from the dead. He had resurrected him. At the very beginning of Acts, we saw this ascension into heaven. And the last two weeks, we've seen the birth of the church. And so, in essence, the, the old customs, the old traditions that, that these Jews held to they no longer had to have these white knuckles and grasping a hold of them. But, but one of the things I think is so important for us to see is that even though they didn't necessarily have to do it, Peter and John continued. We are a church of two years old. And one of the things that I've, I've seen in our community, uh, I think one of the things that I've, I've noticed nationally when it comes to churches Especially when, it, when you begin to discuss and talk about like church plants, new churches. And a lot of times, not always, but, but typically when a, a new church is, is planted and started, usually they, they begin with a, a, a younger group. I, I, I'm 39. It's hard for me to say I'm really young. I'm on the cusp of 40. And they say like you're over the hill at 40. But I, but I figure, but no, but this is what I think. I think it's just a hill. Like, when does the mountain occur, right? Is that like 85, right? So I'm like halfway, right? So, uh, but, but this is what, what I, I, a lot of times we see is, is we have these new churches that will begin. And you know, what they end up doing a lot of times is they, they are, are, are trying to do the exact opposite of maybe what they, they came out of. And so maybe they were part of a, a very traditional-minded church, and so they run from tradition. They run, and, and, and sometimes we equate music with a style of a church. And, and so they may run away from the hymns and, and traditional components of it, and they go, far from that. And, and one of the struggles I think that you see in that is, is, is as, you, as you leave some of those things, we shouldn't worship traditions. We, wouldn't, we shouldn't worship customs, but there's heritage in that. Right? One of the things I think we see even in our country today, isn't it like we've run away from our heritage? And we have kids now that, that barely know the Pledge of Allegiance. And that's pretty important part to our heritage, isn't it? And, and what we see here is with Peter and John is, is even though there's this new faith, there's this new um, church, if you will, they've not completely abolished themselves from their old ways. They've, they've found a way in which they could still partake in the customs and the traditions, but not worship those customs and traditions, but still grab a hold of Christ. 
And so we see them going through this normal routine. They're going to the temple. And on their way to the temple, they bump into somebody. And we don't have a name of this individual. He's a, a beggar, a lame man. The Bible tells us that this particular guy had been crippled since birth. So that's all, he, that's all he's ever known. It wasn't like there was this horrific accident when he was a, a teenager or in early 20s or whatever. No, this is like from birth he's been lame. In the daily practice, this, this man's daily life is he had these friends, and, and they were good friends because they took the time. They would get up early. They would get him from his home where he lived, where he resided, where he slept, wherever, and he would get them to this place, this post that the Bible refers to as the beautiful gate, just outside the temple. Now, this is, for beggars, this would be like prime property, this beautiful gate um, was given the name Beautiful Gate for a reason. It was, it was beautiful. Like these, the, the gate was plated with this Corinthian brass. I mean, expensive. It would be this, this as you would walk up to the temple, it would be breathtaking. The, the beauty of this gate would definitely catch your eye. And, and if you think about this, this paints this beautiful picture for us because you have this majestic, beautiful, costly, rich, breathtaking view and propped up against it is this crippled beggar begging for money every day. Every time someone would come near, he would, he would, call, he would call out, he would cry out for anything, for pennies, for, for, for money, for whatever you have. And and we, even in our community, see that, don't we? That when we get off the expressways, typically, or sometimes going into shopping centers, we see individuals, we see families with, with cardboard signs that are, are asking for money. And the situation here is no different. These, this is a man who's crippled, who's, who, who, who has, has no way of earning money for himself. And the only way he can do it is through begging for money. And, he, and here he is at this beautiful spot, at the beautiful gate, begging for money. And this is, not only is it a beautiful place, but it's a strategic place because these people who are going to pass him by are all going to the temple. They're going there to pray. And, and, and part of the Jewish belief, the Jewish custom, was they, they thought it would do well for them to give to those in need. And so all these individuals, all these people who are going to the temple are theoretically worshiping God and so they'd be more apt to give money. And so here he is, and he sees Peter and John walking up. And he goes through his spiel, his, his probably rehearsed statement, whatever, whatever it was. He probably said it a thousand times already that day and would, would in his mind think he was going to say it a thousand times more. This is what I, I find, a few statements I find fascinating. As he's doing this, look in verse 4. It says, um, as this verse 3 tells us that this lame man's asking Peter and John for alms, for, for money. Verse 4 says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. That, your translation may say something a little slightly different, but, but what we have here is, as, as this man's begging for money, Peter and John look intently into the eyes of this beggar. I mean, this is a deep, stare. 
Like they're, they're, they're looking into the heart and the soul of this man. I mean, well, I don't know what they were looking for. I don't know if they were trying to determine if this is a sincere person. I don't know if they were trying to determine what, but, but they looked deeply into this man's eyes. And notice it wasn't just them, but they directed him to do the same. And when he says, look at us. You know, one of the things I think that we see here right off the bat in this particular miracle, in this particular story, is when we come face to face with those in need, it requires action, but not just action. It requires deep action. One of the, the awesome parts of what we've heard this morning has been in these testimonies has been this description of what a faith family is. A description of, of how we as families individually, but, but more importantly corporately, how we've loved on each other. We in two years have experienced some amazing highs, haven't we? At the end of the service, while we take our offering, we have a video that we're going to go through. And you can't blink because the pictures change so fast. And we were, Courtney and I were trying to put this video thing together, and in two years you start compiling pictures, and you have three, four, five hundred pictures. And you see all these awesome things, and you see all these huge smiles on kids' faces, on adults' faces, on our mature adult faces. Right? I mean, we see us eating food, we see us laughing, we see baptisms, we've seen a lot of awesome things, haven't we? But we've also experienced some tough times. We, we've experienced those things in our individual lives. A loss of, of family. What some of our youth have, have, in the last few months, have lost multiple grandparents. We have had individuals in our family that have lost parents. We, you know, almost a year ago, lost one of our own faith family members. Like, those are hard things, aren't they? Like, those, those are times when, when you, you need those around you. You need the deep contact of family. And we see that right here. We, we see Peter and John who do not know this person. Yeah, I mean, as they've gone to the temple, they've seen them before. But, but there's no relationship. And as this man begins to beg for money, Peter and John go to him and they, they, they look him in the eyes. And they, they direct him to look back. And they create this deep exchange. And as we see in verse 5, the guy gets excited because he thinks in the midst of this deep stare, these guys are going to empty their wallets like I'm going to get some money. It's going to be an easy day of, of begging today. I mean, that's what he's looking for. That's what he's asking. He's asking for money. And after this deep stare and deep embrace, and maybe he got awkward for a minute, I don't know. But then Peter answers his request and he says, Listen, verse 6 says, I have no silver or gold. Have you in your life found yourself in a difficult season? 
Maybe it's in your vocation. Maybe it's the job that you have. And, and, and no matter how hard you work, you can't get ahead. No matter how many hours you log in, no matter how many sales you make, no matter how many whatever it is you do, you do, you can't get that promotion. Maybe it's relationships. You, you work so hard to love your neighbor and they want to spit in your face. Maybe, maybe it's our marriages. I, I will, I, I, I pray, always remember, um, in Courtney and I's journey together, I remember we hit year seven, and year seven was like a freight train, and both our trains were going in a massive collision. And, and there were most days that Courtney didn't like me and I didn't like her. And, and it was hard. I mean, it was, it was, it was, there was, there was no joy. And, and I remember after one of our multiple arguments, you know, we just kind of both, it was a, it was a God thing. But we just finally kind of had it and we both hit like our, our max. We, we were, we were just done. And Courtney just said, listen, I, no matter what, I'm going to fight for this marriage. No matter what. Now, we've gotten through year seven, but we've had to fight a lot for that marriage. And folks, I, listen, I, I am beyond thankful for the opportunity for those who come to serve as your pastor. But I don't want you for a second to think I have it all together. I don't want you to think for a second that, that I'm this A-plus husband and an A-plus father. I don't want you to think that I make my bed every day and I put my socks away. <laughs> but there are times in our lives where it gets hard, doesn't it? And, and we, we, we are screaming for a way out, and we think we know the answer. We, we, we think we know what we need. And this lame person, this cripple, thought he knew what he needed. He thought he needed money. And so he's begging and pleading for money like he had done his entire life. And as he asks and as he begs and he looks deeply into Peter's, John's eyes, when Peter says, listen, I'm sorry, I don't have any money, I have to guess that this cripple was pretty bummed, was, was pretty upset, probably felt like Peter and John were toying with his emotions. Maybe they thought that, that here's these two guys that, that think they're better than me. Man, are these, these two guys here that are, are just making fun of me? They're mocking me. Like, all I'm asking for is a few pennies, a, a, a whatever change you have. That's all I need. I, I'm crippled. I can't do anything else. I just need a little bit of help. And here these guys are making fun of me. And sometimes in my journey, I don't know about yours, but in my journey, I, I get to where I feel is like rock bottom, and I'm crying out to God, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling him this is what I need. This is how i got to get out of this hole. 
Just give me this ladder, this, this one way. I quote this verse often. And yes, Miss Kay, it is my favorite verse. It is my favorite verse. Isaiah 55, 7 and 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. Because just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my thoughts and my ways are higher than yours. And see, so what this man is looking for, what he's begging for is money. And Peter says, listen, I don't have it, but I got something way better. And then he performs this miracle. And it says to him, he goes, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Like this is a huge statement because if we go back and we look at Jesus and his miracles, if this was Jesus then and there, he would have just turned to the guy and said, listen, get up and walk. But Peter makes a very specific and profound statement when he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I mean, Peter says, listen, this isn't me. I, I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I don't have the talents. But I know who does. And so in his name, in Jesus' name, get up and walk. And as only Peter would do, He makes the bold statement, and he reaches down with his right hand and grabs him. And this lame man gets up. Think about this. And and sometimes when we read the Scripture, again, this is me. As I read this, I'm like, there are times where you read it, and you read it so often, you read the same story so often, that it loses some of its awe. It loses some of its awesomeness, if that's a word. But folks, this is a man who had never walked in his life. Never. Maybe you've had the experience of breaking a leg or breaking an arm or something like that, and you have a cast on your arm or your leg for a lengthy period. And you remember how um, when that cast come off, comes off, that atrophy steps in, right? And so your leg is like half the size of the other leg. You look like, have you guys seen that Peyton Manning skinny leg commercial? It's like you got one that's normal and one that's like Peyton Manning's skinny leg. Right? That's, and you can't really walk. Or, or, or your arm, you got one arm that looks like Popeye and the other one that looks like olive oils. Look, young guy, you guys don't even know who Popeye and olive oil are. And so what happens is over time, we have to rebuild those muscles, right? And eventually, after a season of time, the arm, the leg, whatever, gets back to, to normal. And here we have a guy who, for his entire life, had been crippled. I mean, I couldn't even imagine what his legs looked like, having never walked before. Not in a cast for six or eight weeks, but for years probably decades. And Peter grabs him by the hand and lifts him up. And it says there in verse 7, it says, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately. Guys, underline that in your Bible. Circle it, highlight it, whatever. See, this, this guy wasn't healed and didn't have to go to physical therapy for the next six months. He didn't have to worry about working up the the muscles 
and stretching those muscles out so they would eventually get to the point where he could walk. I mean, when, as Peter lifts him up, the Bible says that he immediately was healed. Like immediately. If you were to read this Greek language, you, you see that, that Luke, who wrote Acts, who was a doctor, uses medical terminology that, that was specific for doctors to let us know that, that as he stood up, that those ankle bones, that they immediately went back into the sockets and he was immediately able to walk. Now, his first step may have been a little ginger. He, he may have been a little awkward. Second step, maybe a little less. But within a matter of a few steps, the Bible tells us that he's leaping, he's jumping, he's praising God. This is a man who had never walked before. And through the power of Jesus' name, is jumping up and down. And as he does this, he goes into the temple. You know, there's a good likelihood that that's the first time that former cripple was able to go into the temple. For years, he had watched people go through the gate and come back out. For, for years, he had seen people who maybe were real, genuine believers and those who were just going through the motions. He saw the kindness in the hearts of some and, and the coldness of others. But that day, he holds Peter's hand. That verse 11 that we read there, it says, um, while he clung to Peter and John, that word clung there, that Greek term clung there is used throughout the New Testament typically when a jailer is arresting an individual and it's that idea of like handcuffs, of, of grabbing a hold of them and securing them. I have never been in the back seat of a police car. Praise Jesus. I pray I never am. But I'm pretty sure like when Gavin arrests somebody and he's bringing them in, like he's got them under control. And that's the same intensity that this man is holding Peter and John as they go into the temple. And as they go into the temple... He's screaming. He's yelling praises to God. Now, the way I picture the temple is this. You have a bunch of uh, old people, very somber and quiet. You guys ever walk into a real stuffy place like that? I had the privilege, some of you were there last January. We did this secret church deal, and, and, and so there was four of us pastors that were part of this, and they had asked each of the pastors to cover seven chapters of the book of Acts. And we had an hour to talk, and we started at like 7 p.m., and it went till like 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. It was long. But we did this in an African-American church. That was my first experience, like preaching in an African-American church. And guys, it was at, at like midnight. It was loud. I mean, it was... Every, I. I I would stutter, and you know, amen. <laughs> but maybe you've been in that very formal place, and all of a sudden maybe there's somebody who's, who's a little bit more liberal in their expression, and it feels a little uncomfortable. 
Like, we're not supposed to raise hands in our church. We're not supposed to say amen. But yet this guy comes in, and he's so stoked. He's seen and witnessed and felt the power of God. And he wants everybody to know about it. And so he doesn't hold back. Hey, he's shouting, he's hollering. And for some, I'm convinced that that day was the first time they probably experienced real church. That was the first time they probably witnessed life change. Folks, as we go through valleys in life, as we hit those difficult days, seasons, weeks, months, years, and as we have opportunity to see God work and direct, we ought to be like this cripple who was healed. We ought to be forthright. We ought to tell people what God has done in our lives. You know, sometimes when it comes to prayer, we're quick to give a prayer request, but we're slow to give a praise. Almost, it's like, it's, it reminds me of a honey-do list where when you accomplish one of the things in the honey-do list, it's replaced by three more. And so sometimes our prayer life can be nothing more than a honey-do list for Jesus. Okay, Jesus, I need you to do this, this, and this. And once you're done with that, I need this, this, and this. As I looked at this passage this week, that was one of the things that really struck me. That this man... In his celebration, in this man, in, in the life change that occurred to him, he made sure everyone around him knew what happened and who did it. His, his thankful spirit blew up, and there was no denying. There was no denying what occurred in this man's life. Guys, I, I, I sincerely believe this. For most people that don't know Christ as their Savior, their point of salvation probably is not going to come within the context of this room. There'll be some, but for the most part, it's not what Chad has to say on a Sunday morning, but it's what you have to say Monday at lunch. It's what you have to say as you, you call your girlfriend, your boyfriend. It's what you have to say when you call your family members and you tell them about this hard season of life that you went through. And then in unexpected ways, in ways you never even thought, God delivered or God showed or God provided. That, it's exactly what the disciples did. As we look through the book of Acts, we're going to see time and time again that all the stuff that's taking place was taking place outside of the temple, in the courtyards, in the homes, around the breaking of bread. So as we celebrate our second year, I, I am prayerful and hopeful as we begin our third year that we don't just keep this faith family locked in this room. Those disciples very easily could have kept it all in the upper room, but they chose not to. They chose to go out in the courtyards. That we go in the courtyards. That we engage in these mission projects like the Christmas shoebox. 
like the Crisis Pregnancy Center, the Timothy Initiative, planning churches, that we individually take time to look into the eyes of our friends and our family and make deep connection and point them to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all things you've done for us. God, I thank you for this morning and this story. Lord, I pray that you help us not to lose some of the awe of what occurred. Help us not to take these things for granted, but to remember what you did and how it wasn't Peter, it wasn't his talents and abilities, but it was your, your name, your power. Lord, I don't know what season we may all be in. For some of us, we might be experiencing a great high in life, that things are working out just like we had hoped and planned. For others, it might just be struggle right now. It might just be hard. It might be issues in their marriage. It might be issues as with their children, with maybe issues in their, their work, their, their finances, their whatever. I don't, I don't know, Lord, but, but I know in a room this size that there are struggles. As this story alludes to, this, this poor, crippled beggar was leaning up against this beautiful, expensive, breathtaking gate. Father, you are amazing. You have given us so much in our lives. So much that you are willing to sacrifice your own son so that we could have a chance to spend eternity with you. God, that's not a thing that we should do just one time and take for granted and just keep doing what we do. But Lord, that is a life-changing decision. That, to follow you is life-changing. That we get to rest in your glory. And so God, you're the beautiful gate and we're the cripples. We want to turn to you. So Holy Spirit, work this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen.